0: You're listening to the Cent Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Thank you so much for the warm welcome to be here this week. It has been just an outstanding week, and I have so enjoyed meeting so many of you in different places and um getting to see what is happening here in Bridges Hill and in Brighton, and it's an exciting uh, thing that God is stirring in the Spirit, and I can feel that when I'm here. I know, uh, you know, you may not be at 27 services on a weekend or anything like that right now, but there is something under the surface that God is stirring up, and I feel like there's a, um, you know, those underwater springs where there's water that's there, and it just you know, in the right places at the right times, it breaks forth. And again, this morning, just in worship um, and the word that God gave through Donna, there's such a a sense of God is raising expectation in the house. Do you feel that? He's raising a sense of hope and he's raising a sense of expectation that truly something amazing may happen. He's raising an expectation that he is able to do all those things that are exceedingly abundantly above what we ask, think, or imagine. And I, I, I love the words of the song that, um, uh, David let us in this morning that, um, that you, through the ages, you never change. You stay the same through the ages, right? And to me, one of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Acts because it's, mind-blowingly profound, the stuff that happens. I mean, there is everything in here from, you know, the raising of the dead to, you know, people getting healed by shadows of the apostles to time travel or, you know, space travel kind of thing. I mean, the stuff that happens in there is profound and it's not a story, it's history. But he stays the same through the ages. And so I look at my life and I'm like, Okay, there's some stuff I want to expect for, and I believe it's possible. I believe that we have, we've come through, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years where sometimes people have settled for a type of religion, a type of, um, you know, maybe salvation, if that. We went through the dark ages. We went through the periods of time where the Bible was removed from the people and there was no personal connection with God. But we are now in this moment of history where everything is available to us. We have access to solid teaching. We have access to uh, gathering together in, in amazing places. At present, we are free to gather. We are free to come together. We can't take that for granted. We are free to gather and proclaim the name of Jesus. We are free to experience the exceedingly abundantly, but is our expectation there? And so this morning, I really felt to uh, speak on that, and I'm not sure what all is coming for you as a church um, or even as individuals, but the word that I got from the Lord today was uh, it, it is important to steward a move of God. And so I want to speak on stewarding a move of God this morning because it is a partnership that we we walk in with God. Sometimes we look at, you know, I don't know if it happens here. It probably does. But in Canada, I have been to so many prayer meetings, conferences, worship events where we are begging for revival, begging for a move of God, begging for God to do something. And in my more mature years not so mature, but some, some, some level of maturity. As I've come to understanding the Word of God more, I've realized that it's not very often an absolutely spontaneous move of God, so much as it's about a group of people who come into relationship with what God has been wanting to do all along. You know, don't we think that God wants revival more than we do? God wants to move more than we want him to move. He wants to be free more than we want him to be free. But it takes a group of people who will press in for that, a group of people who are open to what he's doing, who are open to his word, who are open to, to actually walk with him. And I look at the book of Acts and the first couple chapters, you know, when Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. Just stay there. And I I think to myself, how difficult would that have been in those days to sit in a room all together waiting for something that you don't even understand, to experience something you have no reference for, because Jesus has left, and you're just in this place in in between spheres of walking with Jesus and the move of the Holy Spirit. They just sat there. And I've thought, you know, how many times would maybe God have done something in my life if I'd have had the patience to sit and truly wait. But I get uncomfortable. I, I think just knowing my personality, I may have been one of the people that got up and left. You know, I wouldn't have made it all the way till when the Holy Spirit came because I would have been like, this is crazy. How He didn't tell us how many days to stay. He just said to stay, you know. And every move of God requires an actual response of people to go, I want you, God, more than I want my own comfort, my own understanding, my own intellect, more than I want people to like me, more than I want things to make sense, I just want you more. I was teaching on the, um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit a couple weeks ago at a college and, uh, just studying again the, the revival that came, um, at Azusa Street in Los Angeles and I mean, I think we're all familiar with that, but that, our most recent big wave of the Holy Spirit that came. And I've always heard the story of how, you know, William Seymour was there preaching and the Holy Spirit came and this crazy move of God happened. And I've heard the stories of, you know, how people played music that had never, they had no musical training. I've heard of people, I heard some new ones this time about people speaking in languages completely foreign to them and actually interpreting. You know, people would come from around the world to experience the Holy Spirit. And these these uneducated people would do the interpreting at the altar from their native language into English, which is bizarre. But what I had never really paid attention to before was the story of William Seymour and how he was a, a black, one-eyed man, no, not one-eyed, but he was blind in one eye. <laughs> Whose parents had been slaves. He was uneducated. He was, he was in a, a period of time where he wasn't allowed to be part of the, the general society. Everything was segregated. But he had such a hunger for the Holy Spirit that he went down to Texas where they were teaching on the Holy Spirit and he sat in the hallway just listening. To, to, he was so hungry for God, just listening for the Word of God. And, and he was willing to put himself through that kind of humiliation, really, out of hunger to go after what God had for him. And God marked him at that point. And so sent him out to Los Angeles. He gets invited to preach at some meetings about the Holy Spirit. And uh, the first night when he's there and he goes to preach, they find out he hasn't actually received anything yet. And so they fire his booking and they don't want to hear him the rest of the week that he's there. And so this lady in the church invites him to come to her house because she says, well, I want to hear what you have to say. So for five weeks, every single night, he preached on the Holy Spirit and nothing happened. But the crowd grew and the crowd grew and the crowd grew. And to the point that there were so many people standing on the, the porch of the house that it fell down. They, they, were just, they were anticipating a move of God. They were anticipating something. They were willing to wait and tarry. And so then they decided to do a 10-day fast. And three days into the fast, the Holy Spirit began to move and one man spoke in tongues. And it wasn't William Seymour. It was somebody else. And the next day, three girls received. Girls. I love how God just goes, you know, at this point, we just really don't care about race, creed, you know, male, female, we are all one in Christ. And the Holy Spirit made a point of showing that right away. And and William Seymour still presses in and keeps preaching, keeps preaching. It wasn't until several days into the fast, a month and a half into the teaching, that he finally received something. And I just feel so inspired by that and so encouraged on that because how many of us have received a word from God and not pressed it all the way through? We go, well, if it's gonna happen, I mean, we'll see. I, that would be so nice. We receive a prophetic word from God, maybe through the lips of somebody else, or maybe we're in the word and something just comes off the page at us and we're like, that that's for me, maybe. Let's see if it happens. But what if God's asking us to actually do do something about it? What if he's actually asking us to press into it? So I want to just look this morning quickly at um, a story in the Word that gives us such a good example of this. So if you will turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. And it's the story of Elijah uh, and the coming of rain, which is such a cool story. We don't have time to go through every single detail of it. this chapter, chapter 18 of 1 Kings is worth studying at length because there's so much in there of how God moves and how people respond and what it requires to actually do something. But we know that uh, the land had been in, Ahab was the king and Ahab was evil, did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was married to Jezebel. It was all just bad. And so um, Elijah was given a word from God to just declare that there is not going to be any rain on the land until I say so, which is an interesting thing because the, the rain just represents the move of God. When there is rain, there is prosperity. When there is not, there is a lack of God because God has his hands on that. And so Elijah makes this declaration and sure enough, the rain stops. Three years, the rain stops, which in their territory was enough time for everything to dry up. It was enough time for there to be no crops, no food. The, the animals in the field didn't have enough grass. Everything was just at that point, that breaking point. It was a place of dryness. I find that very interesting because, again, the society that we live in right now, I, I find that almost every day when I turn on the news and I find out something, some horrible thing that's going on in the world or or something that the church has allowed and decided it's okay now and it wasn't last week, uh, you know, it doesn't line up with the word, but we're going to be okay with it now just because society says it. And, and I'm horrified with that. And I feel like our world is at a place where there is a drought There is, there is just an absence of that river of God that needs to flow. But we are also at a time where God is beginning to declare a new day. He's declaring a new season. He wants to pour out of his goodness and of his abundance. And so in uh, chapter 18, verse 1, starting at the beginning there, it says, it came to pass, after many days, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And I love this passage because God gives Elijah an instruction. He says it's his intent. God is saying, it's my intent to bless the earth. It's my intent to bless this land. It's my intent. But he says, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Do you notice there's a man condition on there? It wasn't just, it's time, I'm going to send rain on the earth. It was, I want you to go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And there will always be something with a move of God that requires an obedience step on our part. There will be always be something that we have to do. And so looking at this, God initiates the move, but Elijah has the choice whether to respond to it or not. And so the first thing I want you to know is that that God will initiate a move. God will initiate what He wants to do. And it will come through a prophetic word. It will come through the unction of the Holy Spirit as you're reading the word. It will come in your prayer time. But He initiates it. It's not us begging for it. He starts to stir it up. I, I, I'm uh, sensing that so many of you are praying for things that you probably didn't pray for two or three years ago. God has begun to stir things in your heart. That's His initiation. He has begun to stir things up. That's his desire, but he's partnering with you in it. So Elijah answers, and Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them uh, hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, go to the land, to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. And Ahab went by himself one way and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him and he recognized him and fell on his face. And he says, is that you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him and he said, it is I. Go and tell your master Elijah is here. And so he said, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? So Elijah has this word from God. God wants to move on the land and I, I'm going to deliver the word to Ahab. Elijah bumps into a guy who seriously loves God, fears the Lord, another believer, we would say in our time, and the believer goes, are you kidding me? Why would you do that to me? I don't want to have any part of this. Going on, he, it's, it gets even worse. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here and it shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from you, that the spirit of the Lord will come to a place, carry you to a place that I don't know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he can't find you, he'll kill me. But I, your servant have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the men of the Lord? How I hid 100 men in the Lord's of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. I mean, Elijah has the word from the Lord and he begins to walk on it. And this other person representing the other religious parties is so, he's trying so hard to convince him not to do it. He's, he's like, this is a bad idea. This is not going to go well for either of us. I am pretty sure if I do this, I am going to die doing it. Have I not done enough? I have rescued the prophets. I have fed them. I have watered them, but God's given a new word. God's given a new command and he's living on the old thing and saying, haven't I done enough? How many of us, when God begins to birth an expectation of a new dream, of a new plan, of a move of God, and we start talking to people about it, they go, aren't we doing enough? We have services, we have programs, we have prayer meetings, we have stuff. Aren't we doing enough? If God wants to move, he'll He'll do it, but we're, we're doing all we can do. But God was giving a new direction. He was giving a new instruction. So Elijah presses into it. And he he comes and he goes before Elijah. Um, and verse 17, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore... Send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And basically, we know the story. Uh, Elijah sent out the word and he's like, you know, it's time for God to do something. So let's bring this to a point where there's going to be an answer one way or another. There's a firm commitment in Elijah's heart that he's going to press this through. What I find interesting is that when when Elijah meets Obadiah, Obadiah comes to him and he's like, Ahab's going to kill us if we do this. Elijah doesn't respond with any concern for his own safety. He is so fixed on what God has told him to do that he will do it no matter what. He is absolutely convinced that God's way is the best way and he's going after it. So those first two things, once we hear and receive a word of God, we're going to have to go after it with everything we've got. And the people around us may not agree. We have to press in anyway. So just to give you a couple points there for your notes, hearing the word of God, God will initiate a move of God. Number two, we must be willing to obey regardless of the cost. Number three, we must be willing to hold on to God's word even if others don't agree. And turn down to verse 21. Elijah said, came to the people and said, "How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him; but if Baal, follow him." And the people answered him not a word. And and this brings us down to number 4. The 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 thing that happens when God instructs us that there is a move coming, there's something that he wants to do, there will be a decision between what has been and what will be. There will be a decision between what is right and what is wrong. There is no way for God to move in a lukewarm situation. There is no way for God to move when we are hanging on to the old stuff and unwilling to embrace the new stuff. There is no way for God to move when we stand in the way and we just say, you know, I, I actually like, I'm comfortable with my life as it is. I, I'm, I'm good with it. I also want you to move. God asks us, he puts these things before us, right? Joshua did it to choose who you will serve. Choose this day who you will serve. Um, for us, we've had so many moments over the last several years where God has spoken about our particular city and our particular region. And we really believe in Canada. It is a place that has been marked by God for revival. It's a place that God is going to move that will be notable to the rest of the nation. And it is taking some time. It is taking, you know, willingness to press into it. But one particular uh, winter, of course it was winter, God told us to, of course, God told us to lay claim to the land, lay claim to the territory around us. And And we were like, you know, what what does that mean? How would we do that? And we felt like the Lord say, I want you to go to the corners of the territory of our region and actually declare that I reign there. And And so we were like, well, you know, how does that work? And as we went into prayer, there were some very specific instructions and We felt that we were supposed to go and we were supposed to declare it and we were supposed to just praise in those places. Praising is just declaring God's rulership. We weren't supposed to pray. We weren't supposed to engage in any kind of, you know, warfare or anything like that. We were just supposed to praise, put a marker and move on. So we, we um, rented this big van and we had 15 people in it. And we had a keyboard and a hand drum and we had flaggers and whatever. And we literally spent 13 hours that day driving around. We'd get to the, the corner on the edge of the territory and we'd all get out of the van. It was so cold. And we'd sing one song and the flaggers would flag and just, you know, put a mark on the ground. We'd get back in the van, drive to the next town. Get out on the corner. Everybody jumps out of the van. We sing a song, plant the flag, get back in the van. I remember thinking as the, the vehicles are passing by us, people think we are absolutely insane and it doesn't matter. And we finished that day and it was, I mean, we'd felt the presence of God on us all day, but other than that, Nothing really happened. I mean, there, nobody got saved. Nothing. Nothing changed in that moment. But the following year, we started to hear reports from all the small towns in the area that they had just noticed things. Like one particular town um, was looking at laying off some of their police officers because their crime rate had gone so far down that year, and it was unexplainable, and they they didn't know why. And so they thought maybe they just could afford less. Uh, police officers. We had just random things where, you know, the holiness of God moved into an area and all we had done was lay claim to the ground that God told us to lay claim to. So, you know, these are the things that God asks us to do, to just be single-minded and no matter what anybody else is thinking, we go after it and we do the thing. The final thing that I want to just hit on, I don't have time to hit all that is in this chapter. But turn over to verse 41. And if I could say one thing that I believe is is the most monumental for stewarding a move of God, it's this. Um, I, you know, again, not like a thousand years old, but I'm old enough to know that... Uh, <laughs> I'm old enough to know that there are times when there is a prophetic word that comes... And we take a wait-and-see attitude. We'll just wait and see if it actually comes to pass. And it doesn't come to pass. And we either go, God was not faithful, or that was a false prophet. And we just move on. I would like to submit a third option. Is that maybe we didn't give birth to the word. And this, this is found here um, in 1 Kings 41. Elijah says to Ahab, go up and eat and drink. There is the sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of caramel and he bowed down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, again, he said, go again. And then it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising up out of the sea. And so he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. James 5 talks about this, James 5, 17 and 18, and it just says straight up, Elijah prayed and the rain stopped. Elijah prayed again and the rain came again. So he didn't just have his head between his knees because he was hiding. He was in intercession, just so we know, you know, this is the posture. He was fully interceding for God to move. But the interesting thing is, at the beginning of the chapter, God's the one who said he wanted it to rain. God initiated it. God said, this is my plan. And yet God required a person on the earth to release it. God required somebody to say, you know what? I am willing to put my life on the line. I am willing to do something even if nobody agrees with me. I am willing to hold fast to the command of the Lord and choose what my focus is. And I am willing to intercede until I see a result. And uh, to me, that is just a, such a fascinating thing that God would allow us to actually give birth to the desires of his heart, that he would allow us to pray through the things that he wants. And in my own life, as I've been, you know, studying these things, I've found so many times that I receive a word, but I'm I'm maybe that soil that receives it with gladness, but then quickly it fades away. I'm just like, that's a good word. And then I forget about it entirely. But what if, what if the dreams and the things that God's beginning to stir, what if the expectation that he's putting on our hearts begins to rise up and we actually commit to pray it through until it's done? I believe God wants to move. I, I To me, there is no question that we're in the generation that will see a massive move of God across the earth. I, I have no hesitation about that. But I also believe it's going to take a people who are willing to do what it takes to birth this thing. People who are willing to say, I am not of this world. I belong to a different kingdom. I'm going to do the hard stuff. Maybe nobody agrees with me. Maybe my family doesn't even agree with me. Maybe the... The church people I know don't agree with me, but I believe what God has said. And I am willing to, even at the expense of my own life, if it takes it, I am willing to go after it. And I will pray this thing through to a conclusion. I will get in the face of God and I will stand in the gap and I will fight for a generation. I will fight for my nation. I will fight for this move of God. I will be the one who is willing to do the distance. And the thing is, Elijah was so impacted by the word of God that he didn't need to see the rain before he knew the rain was coming. All he needed to, to see was that tiny, tiny little cloud. And he knew here's the time. I love that at the end of this, God says that he, um, in the word, it says that Elijah outran the chariots. He, he outran a chariot. Now, if you go back earlier in the day, he'd already spent all day dealing with the false prophets, and then he personally killed 450 of these false prophets. I mean, that's a that's a big battle day, you know. Um, he'd had a long day, and then he went into intercession, and then he was so invigorated by the power and presence of God that he could outrun a horse. I, I find that so exciting because really the, the enemy's going to come. And when we're in the middle of trying to press through and steward a move of God, he's going to say, you are tired. You don't have the resources. Don't you just want to lay down and have a little nap? Don't you want to just, you know, pacify yourself a little bit? You, you don't have what it takes. But if we will press through, God will restore all and more. There is a victory on the other side of it that is unimaginable. So I wanna encourage you with that today. I believe God wants to do something here. I believe he is stirring your hearts. I can feel, I felt it as soon as I came um, on, I think Tuesday morning was the first time I was here, but I sense an expectation, an anticipation in the spirit. And I wanna just encourage you, that is of God. That is not wishful thinking. You are not just stirring yourselves up. God is stirring you up but be prepared to steward the move and go the distance on it. Reinhard Bonnke says, God works with workers and he moves with movers, but he will not sit with sitters. I like that. So let's be prepared to move with him. And I'm just gonna turn it back to Tyler. Um, bless you in Brighton. I'm sorry, I didn't get to see you in person, but it's exciting to be able to minister to both churches and bless you as God moves you into the things that he's got for you.